This place we're at in our country, it's unbelievable. It's unimaginable. It seems like we're in a movie and it's fiction, but it's true. Listen, if you're online and you're watching right now, give us a few more minutes, would you? Maybe you'll hear something that will really change your heart. Most people watch a video for a few seconds. Stick around and see why we're all guilty. Why not one of us are innocent. We have all been divided. We've allowed ourselves to be divided by politicians, by media, and by social media. Social media and its title is to bring us together. It's a collaboration. We're supposed to be able to connect with people in different states and in different countries and really share fellowship with others. But the truth is, it's a wedge. It's a stake that's been driven right in the heart of America. And it's destroying us. It's destroying us. There's a dilemma. It's a social dilemma. There's a show about it. You should look at it. We've all fallen short. You and me, we're all guilty. That's why the gospel, that's why the Bible is important. Now, I know that you might be watching you're like, it's not really important to me, but it can be. It wasn't to me at one point, and now it's my whole life. The gospel is so important because it shares with us in its book that all of us have fallen short. All of us have sinned. All of us are hypocrites and we need help. And that help comes in the form of a baby we just celebrated. His name's Jesus. He grows up and lives a life for the glory of God and saves us from ourselves and from this world and from the sin that's destroying us. And when we accept him, we live in this afterlife, this place called heaven. This place that we're connected with God forever. That's a lot longer than 80 or 90 years on earth. Listen, if you're watching, don't click away. Not one of us are innocent. And the Bible tells us, and it also gives us a, a solution. The Apostle Peter, one of the big wigs in Christianity, here's what he writes. We went through this a couple of months ago in September. He says in verse 3, verse 9, 1 Peter, he says, Don't repay evil with evil or insults with insults. Doesn't that seem like the last six months or year of this political election? Post after post, word after word, arguing, trying to say your political side's better than the other. What is Christians supposed to do? Well, here's what Peter says. This is to refine our heart. It says, on the contrary, we're paying evil with blessing. What? Because we are called to so that you will inherit blessings. My job, your job, if you call yourself a Christian, a little image of Christ, your job is to actually receive the blessing by being harmed or persecuted or offended or afflicted by someone else. And when we turn the cheek, when we take their abuse, we actually receive blessings. But instead, we decide to insult and we decide to actually repay evil with evil. It can't happen. The world is sick with sin and our country is sick and the church is as bad as it's ever been in my view. There's a guy named uh, K.P. Johan, amazing guy. He started this movement. It's called the Gospel for Asia. He's a founder. He's an author. And he's got a couple of amazing quotes. And here's one of his quotes that I really like. He says, the single most important hindrance to the world evangelization right now is the lack of total involvement of the body, the body of Christ. He's saying, if the body's not really together, we're not going to reach anybody. 
We're not going to reach the loss. One of the biggest hindrances, the body, especially in the United States, it's broken. It's fractured. And this election has just shown how bad it really is. We're going through this book. It's Philippians. It's in between Ephesians and Colossians. It's one of the prison epistles. The apostle Paul is in prison. And last week, the imagery with Jeremy and the chains was spectacular. Him writing that letter and showing us what it looked like was phenomenal. But this book is to teach us the way of Jesus together. And right now, it seems like we've got, you know, uh, 30 million Christians doing it their own way. And I'm guilty too. I'm not casting it on you. I'm looking at myself right now too. We need to do Jesus together. Community is critical and we're doing that and we're trying to formulate new community groups. You should be a part of one. Here's really the, the message in a nutshell today. Let me just put it out there, right out there on Front Street. Here's what it is. Paul's joy is that Christ's message is preached, that the gospel is being preached. Uh, preached. Paul's joy is that Christ is being preached to everyone. Is that your joy? Seriously, is that your joy? Are you really thrilled when someone in the message of, of God is moving or you just kind of click by it or you kind of drive by it? Even though you've been a Christian for 25 years. Is that really your joy? It should be because that's what Paul's trying to challenge us. You know, our world is, we know we're struggling, but the United States seems to be on the forefront of struggling today. And once again, I got another quote from KP Johan. Here's what it says. If you want to meet the needs of the poor in this world, and I believe we are so poor in spirit right now, our country is so poor in spirit. If you want to meet the needs, there's no better place than to start preaching the gospel. Start giving away the good news. There's no better way to reach the poor. And we as a country, we're poor. We're poor in spirit. We're poor in, uh, in relationship to God. We're poor in so many ways, even though we might be the richest country. And the only way that we can solve this problem is open up the text and Christians unite and the gospel move forward. That's the joy of the Apostle Paul. You know, I'm powering through the Bible right now. I was telling my sister on a hike a couple of days ago, I'm reading the Bible and I'm just throwing myself hour or two every day reading because I want the Bible to be a part of my life. Forget social media, forget news, forget TV, forget the world. I want more of God. And in my devotion, I was powering through the book of Job. I read it in two days. And here's one of the things that stuck to me. It says this, if God were take, uh, would take back his spirit and withdraw all of his breath, all life would cease and humility and humanity would turn to dust again listen if god brought back his breath and he brought back the spirit we would just be dust our life would be meaningless and it seems like we're heading in that direction a speck of dust with no place to go but we've got an idea an attitude uh, a, a, an opinion our pride is killing us god is that powerful and his gospel is that important. Hopefully you're still watching and you're seeing today that in Philippians chapter one, verse 12 to 19, we're gonna see how the gospel is important and how it can change the world and how it changed Paul's life. So let's open up chapter one, verse 12 to kind of continue with Philippians and the title is The Way of Jesus Together. Here's what it says. It says this, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped me spread 
the good news. Everything that's happened to this man's life has helped him spread the good news. I want that to be your life and my life together, doing Jesus together. Let's just open up our hearts and pray right now. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for the gospel to move and let's pray for the church that I think in my heart right now is so desperately sick. Lord, help us right now. Father, we claim you as Lord and we ask that your words will come off the page and rest and reside in our hearts. Lord, make new room for what you have to say to us today. Lord, let your message just settle in deep and change us from the inside out. Lord, we pray for our country, the chaos and confusion, the the destruction that's happening. Lord, we know that you are a big part of this plan and we ask that you show us and guide us so that we can see you. Lord, help your church right now. Not the building, not the structure, but the actual people. Help the church to unify. And let's rally around spreading the gospel message so that we can spread and share the good news and change lives because of you, Lord. We love you and we praise you and we thank you for who you are. Amen. Here's what's happening. The Apostle Paul is communicating to this church in Philippi. Jeremy gave a pretty good description of what's going on in the church. But here's really what's going on. Epaphroditus has come to meet Paul. And we see that in second chapter in verse 25. Epaphroditus has got some concerns from the church in Philippi. They want to know what's going on with Paul. And so Paul's responding in this letter to their questions. He's talking about the arrest. He's talking about imprisonment and life being in jail. He's talking about the upcoming trial. He's, he's just kind of responding. Hey, brothers and sisters. Hey, church, this is what's really going on. The beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about all of this is it was prophesied or what we call predicted as Christians by Agabus in Acts 21. This guy Agabus says to to Paul at one point, hey brother, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go there, the spirits told me you're gonna get arrested. Don't go there. But Paul says, hey, I still need to go there. But even at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's ministry, on the road to Damascus, 9.15, Ananias was told about Paul too and also prophesied or what we call predicted what would happen. And Ananias was told that Paul would preach the gospels to the Gentiles, which he has done. And it also he also said that he would stand before kings. Now, when you think about that message that Paul's gonna stand before kings, you're thinking of something different. You know, he's going to come and get a medal pinned on him because he's changed the world. But the truth is, no, he's going to stand before kings as a criminal, but he's going to move the gospel up. I'm sure Paul had a different plan in his life, like I did and so many of us did, but God still uses those things because it's God and he can do that. In this verse, in verse 12, there's a key word, if we studied it, it's help, or in the Greek, it's advance or progress. It's rarely used. It's only used three times in the Bible, and the Apostle Paul uses it twice in this first chapter, and then he uses it in 1 Timothy 4, but it's talking about him making progress. He's advancing the gospel. He's helping the world by giving good news to those that need it. Do you realize this? That even today, God uses negative things to bring glory and honor to him as Lord. God uses negative things. He's using today. Here's one of my Jeffisms, a a quote from Jeff Rodriguez. Nothing baffles God, but God will use this time to baffle us. 
Nothing baffles God. You think God's confused and wondering what's going on and why the country's upside down and why the church is sick with sin and pride and arrogance? No. But we're going to look back in five years or 25 years and go, whoa, we couldn't see how God was shaping and molding and destroying the church as we know it and building us back in a healthier mode, making the church about what it really is supposed to be. He uses things to baffle us. The apostle Paul, as he's at the end of his life, locked up in chains, I'm sure going, this isn't how I planned my life, but if something good coming out of it, I'm praising God. And that's what he writes here in verse 12. Now, this book of Philippians has joy in it 16 times, four chapters, 16 times. That's a theme. The Apostle Paul's talking about joy, joy in Christ being preached, joy in being content. There's a lot of joy in here. But having joy doesn't mean things are easy. Has your life been easy the last 10 months? Heck no. It's been tough. All of our lives are tough. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have joy in the gospel and joy in who God is. Things aren't easy for Paul, but Paul's allowing the gospel to advance regardless, and that brings him joy. Here's what verse 13 says. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, know that I am in chains because of Christ. Everybody, including the palace guard, knows that he is arrested and he is in chains because of Christ Jesus, not because of a, a, a crime or a sin or a struggle or some sort of um, major issue in the world, but he's in chains because of this guy named Jesus. And he's preaching the gospel. Everybody knows about it. It's a very significant thing. When they talk about the palace guard, maybe your text says imperial guard, it really has three meanings. One could be the general's tent where the generals all uh, kind of collaborate and give out orders. That could be considered the, the, the imperial guard or the palace guard. Another area would be maybe the administration of the government. They could use that and they have called that in the same Greek word, the palace guard. But I think the one that the apostle Paul's talking about is these centurions. They were the special centurions. In America, we would call them the SEAL team of centurions. They were like SEAL team six and all the SEAL teams together. They had special privileges and they had double pay. And they probably picked King Tiberius and they probably used uh, that time to really um, preach the gospel uh, to these guys. And it was really critical that the apostle Paul would reach Christ. And he would reach this elite people uh, through Christ. And that's an amazing part of this. His joy was about the gospel being spread into high places. He's reaching seal team six of the Roman empire. He's spreading the gospel in high places. But the people in Rome was encouraged by Paul's imprisonment. As Paul was locked up in chains, he was encouraged by Paul's imprisonment. Here's what it says in verse 14. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Listen, the people in Rome were encouraged because of Paul being locked up. The Christians were excited. Now, it's not normal that people use bad circumstances to gain confidence in God. But that's what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to fall down and get back up and fall down and get back up and fall down and get back up seven times. But we're, being, we're to be encouraged like the Apostle Paul. And that's just mind-blowing. Just like the way the country is right now, it's mind-blowing. Paul is being encouraged by negative circumstances. 
There's this really cool imagery in uh, this movie, The Apostle Paul. I think it was come out in 2018. And there's this moment where Paul's talking to someone in a jail cell. It's at nighttime and he's talking about the gospel. And all of a sudden, there's this huge roar from the Colosseum down the road. They can hear 100,000 people cheering like a football game. And they both look at each other and they pray because that cheer was the Roman people cheering for a Christian that just got eaten by a lion. You know, back in the day, if you were a Christian in Paul's time in Rome, they would say, are you a Christian? If you said yes, they would take you and kill you right then and there. Or they would lock you up or they would ostracize you from your community. It wasn't fun being a Christian. My question is this. Does everybody know you're a Christian today? Does everybody know that you read the word of God and that you live the word of God? Would someone in your work or in your school or someone in your neighborhood point you out as one of those crazy Christians? They they have faith in Jesus Christ. They've put a cross on their house. They got a Bible in their house. Would someone come and arrest you because of your faith? You know, seems like many have a Bible, but does anybody use them anymore? Seems like many of us have faith, but is that really part of who we are? You know, there was this time when I was locked up. I was in jail. I wasn't in jail for Christ. I was in jail because Jeff's an idiot. But I was locked up and I got transferred from this camp into what we called, and it was this place called the Thunderdome. 64 guys in this Thunderdome and it had the nickname, the Thunderdome. It was actually cell block 34. And in this cell block, there were 64 guys. And it was really called the Fight Club. And basically what would happen is there was a couple of bunks in the very back, far from the, 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 the guard's view, the watchtower. And people would go in there and fight and they were beating each other up. And the day that I got rolled up and put into this new cell called the Thunderdome, its nickname, I remember walking back in and they were picking this man up from the ground who had just gotten his head smashed in. He had big welts on his forehead. His jaw was dislocated. He was spitting up blood and they were wheeling him out. And I'm like, this is where they're putting me? I was afraid to death, thinking I was going to get my butt kicked. And I'm walking in and I'm hiding my Bible and I'm bringing my bag of goods and they're putting me there and they walk me right back to where my bunk was right in the fight club. It was right in the area, which they called the Thunderdome. I was on the top bunk. And I remember sitting there unpacking my stuff and hiding my Bible. So nobody knew that I was a Christian because I was embarrassed because I didn't know any better. And I remember God saying, open up your Bible and read. And I'm like, Lord, I can't. I I don't want to get beat up. I've been here about 30 minutes. And I remember about 7.50 that night, I heard these guys yell, Bible study. Eight o'clock. And my heart leaped for joy. And I'm like, maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe God brought me into the Thunderdome not to teach me to fight or to get my butt kicked, but to teach me about the gospel. And he did. But listen, at eight o'clock, four guys walked up to the center of the courtyard and said, Bible study, eight o'clock. And you know what? They were a race that was against my race. Everybody in jail is divided by race. It sounds similar to where we're at in our country right now, and that's not healthy. But anyways, God said, go to the Bible study. And there was four people against that was uh, in a different race. And it was going to be awkward if I joined. But God said, go. So I grabbed my little Bible, and all of a sudden, I started walking to the courtyard. And you know what? Every man in that place stopped what they were doing 
and watch me walk to the Bible study because I was a different race. I was from a different car, so to speak. And now I'm going to this Bible study that I probably shouldn't go to. But the truth is they welcomed me. And in a couple of weeks, that, that Bible study had twice as many people, different races, and it started to grow me as well as other people. It was an amazing time. You know what? God puts us under pressure to refine us, to challenge us, to grow us, to teach us. And he taught me so much in that time that if I could preach the gospel in jail, what's so hard about preaching the gospel outside in America? Somebody might call me a Jesus freak or a crazy pastor or a crazy Christian. Who cares? Maybe that might save my life one day for the glory of God. Verse 15, 16, and 17 talk about uh, jealousy and rivalry, arrogance and pride. Here's what it says. It's true that some that are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. So he's talking about some of us that are preaching today and back then are out of jealousy and rivalry. And he's going to get back to that in verse 17. But others are preaching about Christ and pure motives. Once again, our focus will be about jealousy and rivalry. People were preaching with bad attitudes. I believe today one of the problems with the church is the people on social media and on media and on TV and on the radio are preaching with bad motives, with bad attitudes and bad motives. Social media is a war zone. People aren't going there to connect. They're going to destroy the friends that they used to like because they have a different political belief or a different faith process. That's a struggle. Some are preaching because they like to be in front of the camera, in front of the stage. We see that a lot today. We see some good pastors preaching big mega churches, but we also see some that like the money and the fame of being in front of people. That's not a good place to be, and that's what Paul's trying to talk about. If Paul were here, here's what he would say. The real power is not the proclaimer, but that which is being proclaimed. The real power is what's being proclaimed. It's the gospel, not the knucklehead giving the gospel. It's not about me. I have no power. My life ends up in jail and in the Thunderdome. My life with God gets me in a different place. And that's about what's being proclaimed, not the proclaimer. Paul's joy was the gospel, the message of Jesus, the power of God, salvation was being preached. Verse 16 says this, they preach, now he's talking about the, the healthy people, they preach because they love me for they know that I have been appointed to defend the good news. This Greek word, if we kind of did a Greek word study, uh, appointed really means a lot of things. The apostle Paul in the book of Philippians uses a lot of military terms in the Greek. It's a lot of terminology in military and this, assi- or this appointed one is a Greek term about a soldier being in the watchtower uh, watching out for the enemy. It's like those guards watching the inmates like myself. Basically what it means is Paul has been put here by God. He's appointed. He's been put here. He's been assigned. Once again, don't, don't, don't you realize this? Or you need to realize this, sorry. That Paul was being discouraged. He was in trial. He was in chaos. He wasn't happy, joyous, and free all the time. But he knew that this was his task. And because of that, he's like, all these struggles, they're nothing because my task is the gospel and it going forward and going upward. You know, the apostle Paul was the only apostle that uh, Jesus came and met a couple of different times and covered different visions to encourage him because he needed encouragement because the trials and struggles that he had been through. That's important 
And it's important that we see that with Paul. And it's important to know that when we struggle, God wants to meet us in our trials and struggles. Here's what verse 17 says. And this kind of goes back to the jealousy and rivalry. Those that don't have pure motives as they, though the others that don't have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerity, intending to make my chains more painful. He's talking about the self-arrogant and the elitists, the people in the Roman church. The people in the Roman church didn't like Paul. That's what he's saying here. He's not talking about bad theology. We'll talk about that in a second. He's talking about the people in the church. The Roman church wasn't started by Paul. Paul started many churches, but the Roman church didn't start by Paul. We read Romans and went through Romans the last year uh, on Wednesday nights, and it wasn't started by Paul, but he was being popular, and he was famous in all the churches, and everybody at church was talking about Paul, and I think some of the pastors were being jealous and arrogant, and they were kind of trying to make Paul's chains even worse. The church was sick back then, just like it is today. Our country was sick back then, just like the Roman Empire was. But aren't Christians, aren't the little images of Christ the one that run into trials and troubles and struggles? Aren't we the ones that should run into a burning bush or into a burning building or into things that are in chaos to help other people? Aren't we in to run into war zones and take out those that are afflicted? Aren't we the ones that should run into a leprosy camps or COVID areas and pull people out and bring the sick, uh, bring healing to the sick? Isn't that our job? That's what Christ would do. That's what we should do. uh, probably the most important thing I'm going to say is this. This is what I think Paul would say to us today. Self-righteousness and arrogance is the unique sin of God's people. Self-righteousness and arrogance is the unique sin of Christians. We become self-righteous. Look at, I've been a Christian for 20 years and now I'm a pastor and I tithe 11% and I serve and I do. I should be the one that's leading everybody and you should follow me. No, we become self-righteous because of what we've done and how we read the Bible and how we believe and we become arrogant. And it should be the opposite. We should become selfless and he should be our righteousness. God's appointed us to live in this time. We need to realize it and and, and live in it. Here's what verse 18 says. We got two more verses. But that doesn't matter. And now here we see Paul deal with some division. That doesn't matter whether their motives are false or genuine. The message about Christ is being preached either way. So he says, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. This is how Paul shows us about differences. Paul, once again, is not being, uh, uh, the gospel is not being uh, falsely taught. There's not false teachers and bad doctrine. There's just some arrogance. There's some elitist. There's some pride in the middle of this. And the apostle Paul's trying to reject that. And that's what he's saying here. And that's important for us to understand. It's just bad motives, selfishness, and pride. But here's what you need to understand just because someone doesn't believe uh, that believes different from you doesn't mean that you're wrong. If someone believes a different concept of theology, doesn't mean that you're wrong or they're wrong. If some's, uh, you know, very Baptist and someone's very charismatic or Presbyterian and 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 uh, you know Methodist, just because they have a different tent, as long as they're preaching Jesus saves, 
That doesn't mean that they're wrong. Do you realize that denominations used to be, they were built positively? They were meant to be a positive thing in the country. They weren't a negative like they are today. Back then, you know, in the 1950s and 60s, everybody belonged to clubs. The Lions Club, the Moose Lodge, you know, Kiwanis and all this. People wanted to be a part of something. And that's what denominations were. It's like, well, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. Well, I'm a missionary and I'm, you know, this and that. And it just meant that we were like-minded. But now the enemy has turned it to uh, 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 fracture the church and make us not aligned at all. It was a positive thing and now it's a negative but Paul says, as long as the, uh, the gospel is preached and Christ is winning souls, I rejoice. So we should be rejoiceful like Paul. Here's the last verse, and then I want to give you some action items. Verse 19, for I know that as you pray for me, the spirit of Jesus, uh, spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, and this will lead me to my deliverance. Do you think the apostle Paul thinks he's going to get delivered here? No, I think it's more about him finally meeting his maker, finally getting into the heaven and, and being with the other apostles and, 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 and being with, with Jesus and, and living that out. So I think that's really what we see. But here the apostle Paul's talking about prayer. Six times in six different letters, the apostle Paul says, pray for me, church, pray for me. It's a positive thing. Why has prayer turned into such a negative thing? Today we look at prayer and it must be bad. Oh, uh, somebody was up there praying. Maybe their life is in a wreck. Their marriage must be in a, uh, an issue. Back in the days, remember when we used to meet in person and there used to be a prayer team that came up on front and we would have people go up? People would judge people. Why is so-and-so up there? Why are they crying? Prayer is a good thing. And the apostle Paul is challenging people, pray. Things weren't perfect for him. Pray for me. Things aren't perfect for me. The apostle Paul knew that things were a mess and he wanted prayer. Look, at he's old. He's locked up. He's on the verge of dying, but he is content with God. And it says that he has the spirit of Christ within him. And he's saying, please pray for me. And I'm asking you, pray for me and pray for the staff and the elders and pay for people in the church. And if you need prayer, Go to the online prayer card and we will pray for you right now. I think the Apostle Paul knew prayer is key. He links it to the Spirit and he links Christ and the Spirit together. In four other letters, he says these same Greek terminologies linking Christ and the Spirit together because they are one and they are the power of the gospel. Prayer is human engagement working with the power and the Spirit of God, the essence of God. And it comes through the power of Jesus Christ. And that, that, that is a beautiful uh, work of God when human and God meet together. And one of the ways we do that is through prayer. Prayer changes us. It changes our mind. It changes our heart. It changes my stubborn will. And it changes my life for, uh, a, into a hopeful place instead of a desperate uh, you know, denial place. Prayer changes and if you need prayer, sign up for it. But if you need to get out of your depression or your anxiety or your struggle or your anger at the world, maybe you need to spend some time unplugging and pray for 30 minutes or an hour and see how your heart changes. The body of Christ has lost its way. The message of the gospel no longer is our chief export. We no longer share Christ as our export. Back up until the 50s or 60s, one of the great exports of the United States was the gospel. But now, 
We do our technology, our media, all, our culture, our fashion, our money, our lifestyles, and we don't share Christ anymore. You talk about, hey, so-and-so's going on a mission. Let's send her out or send him out. And there's not much money. People aren't praying, not, not really excited because we really don't care anymore because we're so inward focused about me, myself, and I. We need to put aside you and me and we need to share him. Here's another one from KP Johan, that gospel for Asia, you know, sending that out. He says, when our service for the Lord becomes so busy that we forget the Lord himself, it's time for us to stop everything and seek him. We need to stop. I have to unplug from the news. I'm unplugging from social media and I'm just immersing myself in the word. Let me give you some action items. So as I was closing the message, I'm like, I got to put one or two, maybe three things that I could share why the gospel is important and why we need to preach the gospel. But as I started looking, 10 things came out. So here's 10 reasons to preach the gospel. And there's the biblical address. Here's the thing. If you don't check me and fact check what I'm saying, you're really not going to know if this is true. But here's what it says. Here's number one. We have been commanded to preach the gospel to do so. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Matthew 28, preach the gospel, go and make uh, disciples. We are commanded to preach the gospel. That's number one. Number two is that there's a hell. Hell exists. A great explanation of that is Luke 12, 5. If hell didn't exist, we would have an excuse. Oh, we don't need to preach the gospel. We can be passive here. Because hell doesn't really exist. But the truth is, nobody wants to hear this, but there is a hell and it is is a place that people go. It's by choice, but they go because they don't want to receive the good news of Jesus. And that's not fun, but it's true. It's one of the main reasons why we preach. Number three, we're to strive to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. How much did you think about yourself today? What am I eating? What am I wearing? How's my hair, my eyebrows? How much weight do I need to gain or lose? All these things, we love ourselves and we need to strive to love our neighbors. The book of Jude's got one chapter, 22 and 23. Explain this. Go and look it up. Verse four, the obedience of, is the evidence of salvation. Hebrews chapter five, verse nine, Luke six forty six. look it up. The essence of the body of Christ should be obedient to Jesus and the word of God. Look it up and see that obedience is a key to the church. Number five, to remain silent is a sin. James chapter four, verse 17 says, if you know what's right and you don't do it, it's a sin. It's a sin not to share because we know that remaining silent is wrong. You've received a free gift and now you're storing it in your garage, in your heart, uh, in your back pocket. You're not to do that. You're not to invest it in the 401k. You're to give it away and watch how it transforms your life. Number five, or number six, evangelism deepens our walk with God. Every time I share, I'm challenged and I grow. And the next one says, it causes us to search the scriptures. If you want a reason to read your Bible, start sharing your faith with somebody and you realize, man, I need to read up. They got an interesting question. Here's what the word of God says. Second Timothy 2.15. Number eight, it deepens the gratitude for the cross. You know what? My life is driven in gratitude because of what Jesus did. 
Apart from God, I have nothing in my life. I end up in jails. I end up locked up. I end up losing families and breaking hearts. And I destroyed uh, people. But when I understand Christ and, and the cross, my heart is full of gratitude. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. Number nine, it deepens our prayer life. My prayer life needs all the help it can get. And one of the ways that I do that is I share because I start praying for that person. Look at this quote from Murray Comfort. It says, our fears and our senses of inadequacy will drive us to our knees, the safest place for Christians. If you've got fears and, and feeling like depressed and feeling inadequate for where our country is, the safest place for Christians are on our knees. That's where we do war. It's through prayer and on our knees. That's how we change the world. And we see that in Romans chapter 10, verse one. And finally, the last one is we have been commanded by Paul to, be, to imitate Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33 and verse 11, one, Paul shows us the love that he had for God and for sinners and by his obedience and the great commission. He says this, I also please men. Uh, I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. He's saying, basically, I'm doing this so that men and women and children will be saved. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's not being arrogant here. He's like, look it, if you don't know how to do it, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know, in my recovery, when I was going through my drug and alcohol recovery, which I still am, one of the things they said is, if your God's not working, try my God. Use my God until your God becomes big. And that's what we need to do here. Imitate Paul. And Paul is telling us that prayer is important. So let's imitate him. And one of the things that Paul did is he had joy that the gospel is being preached. And you should too. The gospel and the movement of the gospel is the only thing that's going to save our country right now. It's not going to be a politician. It's not going to be a social media post or a, a, a new show on Netflix. It's not going to be a new diet craze or a new thing on TikTok. It's going to be the gospel. It's going to be you opening up and learning it for yourself and being radically changed on the inside out. So here's a six quick ways on how to share it during a pandemic. I know we're socially distanced and for you watching online, you're, 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 you're protecting you and your family and we praise you for that. Here's some quick ways to, to share the gospel. Number one, share this message or share a message about the gospel. Every sermon that we preach online, we have given the opportunity for someone to come across the, the threshold and become a believer. We believe in that. Every Sunday, we make sure a message draws back to Christ and we give that opportunity. So go to your social media and share it. Share it and you'll see the amazement of people on your feed getting to see the gospel. Number two, We've got so much technology, FaceTime and Zoom, FaceTime, Zoom somebody, call, text, email, reach out to people. Just start loving on them and see what you can do through that. Number three, pray and ask God, what can I do or what should I do and who should I reach? Number four, and this is my favorite one, live a life worthy of the gospel. Live as a holy, live a life holy for God. Then your testimony will be the way to share the gospel to the world. I believe that's the most powerful one. People are watching you and watching me and they want to see how you live your life. Number five, I was talking to Jeff Barnett, one of the pastors, and he was like, reveal the father, reveal his heart in any way possible. Seek out, ask and go, how can I share the father's heart through Jesus and the Holy Spirit? 
And finally, probably the most important one, especially as we are divided politically, socially, and in our, in, in our, um, in our church today. Listen, actively listen, like in a marriage. If you're having a struggle in a marriage, one of the things we do is talk about communication and listening. Are you hearing him? Are you hearing her? You know what? Listen to somebody. Just listen and shut up for 30 minutes. Maybe you'll hear a way in to give them some gospel or some truth. But we need to listen. People need to be heard and things will change. I'm so grateful that you are here today. Hopefully you got something out of it. Share this message. Uh, share the love of Christ. And if you feel obligated or you feel like the need of live service, come and meet us at 10 o'clock. But let's just close our head and let's pray that the gospel move, move forward, that someone watching this will receive the gospel and that Christ will become more powerful in our lives right now and forever. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your message. And I pray right now that you do a powerful thing with this online, through social media, through the website, through YouTube, Lord, let your power go through the internet. And we ask that the gospel move forward, that people open up their Bible and see how powerful you really are. And if there's someone watching that doesn't know Jesus, but wants a new life, that wants to be different and wants to change, all they have to do is confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, and the Lord is theirs. It's a gift. And it changes you from the inside out. If that's you today, just repeat after me. Pretty simple prayer. And it goes like this. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. You died and you rose again so that I may have eternal life and live with you forever. I thank you for that, Lord, and the good news. I pray that the Holy Spirit takes over my life right now and guides me into a life serving you and loving you and, and sharing you from now and until I meet you in heaven. We love you and praise you. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully you got something out of it. Share the message. Go online and put a prayer request in. We're starting to grow that again. This week we had about 10 or 12 messages of prayer. We want more. We want to pray for you. Have a great day in the Lord. God loves you. God's with you. And God bless all of you now until the end. Amen.